Shalom, I'm Yaakov, and you're listening to Line Upon Line, a podcast dedicated to a Messiah-essential understanding of the Scriptures. In this episode, we complete our study of Sefer Yaakov, the book of Yaakov, or the book of James, with chapter 5. Let me begin by reading my translation, which is a convergent translation taken from the Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew texts. Beginning at verse 1. Lead, go to now, you wealthy people. Weep and wail, lament over the wretchedness, the miseries of yourselves which are coming. Your riches are corrupted, decaying, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is corroded, and their poison will follow as a testimony, a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in these last days. Behold, now, pay attention. The wages of the workers who harvested your lands, which you have defrauded, those who cry out, and the outcry of those who reaped, has entered into the ears of the Lord who goes warring. You have lived in luxury on the earth and for pleasure. You have fed your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one. He offered you no resistance. Be patient, therefore, Jewish brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The vine dresser waits expectantly for the precious fruit of the land with long suffering patience until he receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient, long suffering. Strengthen, establish your heart's core being, for the coming of the Lord is near, close at hand. Don't hold grudges against one another. Jewish brothers and sisters, lest you face condemnation. Behold, now pay attention. The judge is standing before, in the door, the opening. Receive, my Jewish brothers and sisters, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord as an example of affliction, distress, trouble, and of patient long-suffering. Behold, Now, pay attention. We count those blessed, happy, who endure, are patient, abiding. You have heard of the patient endurance of Job, and have seen the goal of the Lord, that the Lord is full of compassion, extremely kind, and mercifully tender. Now, before, at the head of all things, essences, substances, individual and collective, my Jewish brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by the heavens or by the earth or with any other oath. Now your yes is yes and your no, no, so that you do not fall into hypocrisy. Is anyone among you afflicted, suffering, troubled? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing psalms. Is anyone among you weak, sick, diseased, impotent? He should call for the elders of the gathered believers 
and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer, vow of the faith, trust, belief, will save, make whole, heal the one who is sick, weary, faint. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, missing the mark set by God's holiness, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sin offences to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed, made whole. Much can be accomplished in the prayer request of a righteous person when it is made of effect, strengthened. Elijah was a man subject to passions just as we are, and he prayed, praying, that it might not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My Jewish brothers and sisters, if anyone among you is deceived, wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know, perceive, understand, that the one who turns a sinner from the delusion, error of his way, that same one saves his soul, life, breath, from death, and covers a multitude of sins. Now let's take a look at each verse, reading line upon line, beginning with verses 1 and 2. Lead, go to now, you wealthy people. Weep and wail. Lament over the wretchedness, miseries of yourselves which are coming. Your riches are corrupted, decaying, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Again, the temptation to relegate this part of Yaakov's teaching to outsiders rather than Jewish believers is unfounded. There are always rich among us. There will always be poor believers. Although the language is harsh, it is also familiar. Yaakov knows he is speaking to Jews who are immersed in Torah, the prophets, and the writings of Hashem. The Tanakh, or Old Testament, uses similar terminology in Psalm 73 and in Isaiah 5, 8 to 9. These words are an admonition with the intent to encourage repentance, that is, a teshuvah, a returning or turning back to right action in Messiah. Isaiah 5, 8 to 9 reads, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field, till no space is left, and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, Surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. Yaakov speaks not to all rich people, but specifically to those who become rich through corrupt practices, and those who trust in their riches rather than in God, through Messiah. This is made clear by the context of the latter part of the previous chapter and is emphasized by the present phrasing, your riches are corrupted, which describes the fruit of wicked intentions. Further, verse 4 describes the withholding of the wages of employees. 
Additionally, Yaakov is speaking specifically to those corrupted rich people within the Messianic Jewish communities of the early body of believers, meaning that in some cases they are withholding the wages of fellow believers, and in those cases where they are withholding the wages of employees from outside the community, they are bearing false witness of the Messiah. This is a warning given to believers with the intention of preventing their being led astray by the love of worldly wealth. Verse 3 reads, Your gold and your silver is corroded, and their poison will follow as a testimony, a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. These last days is an allusion to the imminent judgment of God and a testimony against the ludicrous behavior of hoarding wealth only to see it destroyed. The treasure that the corrupted rich are storing is temporary, unsatisfying. Yaakov will soon call for patient trust in Messiah, a position that will be a fruitful and eternal treasure. Those being rebuked here could be likened to a drug addict storing up drugs prior to an overdose. Verse 4 reads, Behold, now, pay attention. The wages of the workers who harvested your lands, which you have defrauded, those who cry out, and the outcry of those who reaped, has entered into the ears of the Lord who goes warring. This is straight out of the Torah. It's Biblical Judaism 101. Vaikwa or Leviticus 19.13 reads, The wages of a hired man shall not stay with you until morning. Verse 5 reads, You have lived in luxury on the earth for pleasure. You have fed your hearts in a day of slaughter. And verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous one. He offered you no resistance. We note that those being reprimanded are those who have lived for pleasure. This, of course, is the definition of hedonism, a form of idolatry. The phrase, you have fed your heart in a day of slaughter, can be understood to mean that those being accused have continued to fatten themselves while others are slaughtered, or that they are storing up earthly goods for themselves, thinking they have a long future before them, not knowing that like the rich hoarder of Yeshua's mashal, his parable, they would soon lose their lives and be unable to enjoy their temporal riches. It's important to remember that this is not an inevitable outcome, but a warning intended to produce repentance. Hashem hears the cry of the spilled blood of a righteous one and the agony of the oppressed. This too is a similar refrain from the Tanakh, the Old Testament. The text is not accusing the corrupt wealthy of the synagogue of murdering people. Rather, as is taught elsewhere in the New Testament, Yaakov is conveying the idea that when a believer mistreats the oppressed and poor, it is as if he is crucifying Messiah again, 
This is why the text reads, You have condemned and murdered the righteous one. He offered you no resistance. Verses 7 and 8 read, Be patient, therefore, Jewish brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The vine dresser waits expectantly for the precious fruit of the land with long suffering patience until he receives the early autumn and latter spring rains. You also be patient, long suffering, strengthen, establish your hearts, core being, for the coming of the Lord is near, close at hand. Those who work the land and do business are to do so with patient expectation of the coming return of the King Messiah, Yeshua, not seeking the wealth of this temporary world, but rather practicing long-suffering in waiting for the eternal wealth of the Olam Haba, the world to come. We note that the establishing or strengthening of the heart the core being, is the result of patiently trusting in Messiah and his promised return. His return is nearer each moment, now and yet fully manifest. Patience, not boasting, is the path of the believer. It's not patience in and of itself, rather it's patience born of hope. That hope is in the Messiah's return. The phrase fruit of the land is a quotation from the Baha for eating berries and vegetables. A vine dresser or farmer's patience is rewarded by the harvest. The autumn rains are mentioned first. This was contrary to the rhythm of the Greek world, which measures its year using different spiritual markers. This is counterintuitive to the Gentile mind, which understands early in relationship to spring and late in relationship to fall. However, the biblical Hebrew calendar understands the first rains at Sukkot, that is, in the fall, as being early, and the rains following Pesach, that is, Passover in the spring, as being late. The Greek terms used refer to the autumn or fall rains as early and the spring rains as latter. This is because Yaakov is using Greek terms to convey a Hebraic idea. This is consistent with the rhythms of rainfall in the land of Israel. For the most part, it rains significantly no more than twice a year in Israel. The early or former rain comes shortly after Sukkot, the festival of shelters, in the month of Cheshvan, that is in October, in the fall. The latter rain is in Nisan, during Pesach or Passover, in the month of March, that is in the spring, prior to the first harvest of barley. The Jewish high holy days, along with the early rains, occur at the end of the year approaching fall and winter. This is a metaphor for judgment. The spring rains coincide with Yom HaBikoim, day of first fruit. This is a metaphor for new life, resurrection. 
Again, Yaakov is reminding Jewish believers in the diaspora of that time that their roots are in the land and are intrinsically linked to the spiritual year as laid out in the Torah. Death, judgment and new life continue to be a part of their journey. In the end, it is the hope of new life, eternal life, which they must focus on. The phrase, for the coming of the Lord is near, close at hand, is perhaps not meant so much as being historically near, but in terms of being eternally near, therefore being eternally present. The return of Yeshua is nearer still. Verses 9 and 10 read, Don't hold grudges against one another, Jewish brothers and sisters, lest you face condemnation. Behold, now, pay attention. The judge is standing before, in the opening of the door. Receive, my Jewish brothers and sisters, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord as an example of affliction, distress, trouble, and of patient long-suffering. The phrase, lest you be condemned, is specifically referring to one judged, found wanting, and sentenced, and not simply to the act of judgment. The phrase, the judge is standing at the door, refers to Yeshua as head and judge of the body appointed by God. A similar warning is given to the body of believers of Laodicea. Revelation 3, 14-22 reads, To the angel of the body of believers in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the bodies of believers. Verse 11 reads, Behold, now, pay attention. We count those blessed, happy, who endure, are patient, abiding. You have heard of the patient endurance of Job, and have seen the goal of the Lord, that the Lord is full of compassion 
extremely kind and mercifully tender. It's interesting to note that Seder Olam Rabbah, one of the traditional commentaries of the rabbis, says that Job suffered for as long as 12 months. This is based on the Hebrew text of Job 7.3. Here, perseverance is the key. One might become impatient, but like Job, we must overcome impatience with perseverance, trusting, like Job, in the compassionate mercy of God. The ultimate positive outcome being Messiah's return and an eternity of prosperity in God. Job 19.25-26 reads, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the land, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Verse 12 reads, Now, before, at the head of all things, essences, substances, individual and collective, my Jewish brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by the heavens or by the earth or with any other vow. Now your yes is yes, and your no, no, so that you do not fall into hypocrisy. The phrase, now, before, causes us to address all that is in error among us. By keeping the righteous patience of the prophets, we turn away from vain oaths and deception, and finally and firmly establish a practice of keeping our word without even a hint of hypocrisy. This is similar to Yeshua's teaching in Matthew 5.33-37 and links to the frivolous boasting of the traders which Yaakov describes in chapter 4.13-17. Simply put, oath-taking was a big part of the Jewish culture at the time and had become a means for justifying daily deception as a lesser form of communication. In short, Yaakov is saying, speak the truth and don't make promises you have no intention of keeping. Verses 13 and 14 read, Is anyone among you afflicted, suffering, troubled? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing psalms. Is anyone among you weak, sick, diseased, impotent? He should call for the elders of the gathered believers, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Both prayer and singing are forms of conversation with God. It seems that Yaakov's best advice is this, be in relationship with the Creator, as opposed to doing in relationship with the world. Both the weary and the ill are offered anointing here. Oil has been used by Israel's priests to anoint her kings for centuries. It is also symbolic of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and the rich blessing, healing, and power of God. Interestingly, Rav Pinchas bin Chama of the Talmud Bavli writes, Whoever has a sick person in his house, let him go to a wise man, and he will seek mercy for him. Verse 15 reads, And the prayer, vow of the faith, trust, belief, 
will save, make whole, heal the one who is sick, weary, faint, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, missing the mark set by God's holiness, they will be forgiven him. The faith spoken of here is not faith in healing, rather it is faith in the healer, Messiah Yeshua, God the Father. This prayer will be the vehicle for revelation to the needy one. He will be delivered from needless toil and lifted up or awakened from his despair or illness, that is, made whole, not necessarily physically well, but whole, complete, spiritually speaking. As a result of this prayer of faith in Messiah, sin will be covered and forgiven, losing its temporal authority. Verse 16 reads, Therefore, confess your sin offences one to another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed, made whole. Much can be accomplished in the prayer request of a righteous person when it is made of effect, strengthened. First we have this word, therefore, pointing back to the prayer of faith in Messiah, which brings healing, wholeness, and the forgiveness of God. Openly vocalizing our sin as confession to one another can be a very powerful source of release from the burden of it. This is something that the Catholic Church, for example, does very well. It's true to say to a brother and sister, Go in peace, your sins are forgiven. We are not saying that we have forgiven their sins. We are simply acknowledging that through the blood covering of the Messiah's sacrifice, their sin is forgiven. The purpose of this open confession is not to publicly humiliate or give opportunity for gossip. It should be undertaken only with trusted believers and then only by the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. In petitioning God on behalf of one another, we are to be motivated by mercy. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Therefore, we see the work of God here denouncing false judgment and vindictiveness and announcing mercy and freedom. The result? Wholeness. Wav Aliezer of the Talmud also teaches that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Verses 17 and 18 read, Elijah was a man subject to passions just as we are, and he prayed, praying that it might not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain and the land produced its fruit. It's important to note here that the type of prayer being spoken of is a form of fervent listening. After all, the narrative concerning Elijah's life tells us only that he heard from God that the heavens would be shut up, following which he heard from God again some years later that the heavens would release rain upon the land. The pattern goes, listen, no rain, listen, rain, listen, drought and death born of idolatry, listen again, life-giving waters, 
welling up from Messiah in you. It is the patient or rather persevering Elijah, like the farmer of verse 7, who received the latter rain. It's interesting to note that in the account of Elijah's prophetic word to Ahav regarding God sending rain, there is no explicit mention of prayer. Read 1 Kings 18 for yourself. In the account, Elijah goes up to the top of Mount Carmel. He throws himself to the ground, puts his face between his knees. Each of these actions, therefore, is somehow considered kinetic prayer. Our sages say, Elijah went up to the top of Carmel to pray, and he cast himself down upon the earth to pray for rain. And he put his face between his knees and prayed, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And this he said while he was in his prayers. In each action we are praying. This is why the text of Yaakov 5.17 reads, He prayed, praying. This is a Hebrew idiom employed to denote passionate and committed prayer. Elijah's entire life, motivation, thought, action, was a living conversation with God. Yaakov encourages us with the words, Elijah was a man subject to passions, just as we are. Yaakov uses the example of praying for rain because it is such a significant part of biblical Jewish practice and of the subsequent generations of Israel in the land. Many of our rabbis are recorded as having sought God for the provision of rain. Jewish tradition is filled with these accounts. We have this phrase, the heavens gave rain. This is an allusion first and foremost to the fact that God, who is the creator of the heavens, gives the rain. Not just the physical rain that ends the drought in the land, but also the cleansing rain of his spirit, bringing repentance and spiritual revival to the people of the land of Israel. Finally, verses 19 and 20 read, My Jewish brothers and sisters, if anyone among you is deceived, wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know, perceive, understand, that the one who turns a sinner from the delusion, error of his way, that same one saves his soul, life, breath, from death, and covers a multitude of sins. Finally, and with concise literary beauty, Yaakov reminds us that in Messiah we live and breathe to see others reconciled to God. We note that if choosing to do the hard thing of rebuking a brother or sister's repeated sin behavior means saving his or her soul, then the opposite is also true. Failing to rebuke a brother or sister's repeated sin behavior means giving them over to the possibility of death. Offering confession and forgiveness at times means challenging others. This is why Yaakov had said previously, the one who knows to do the good and does not, he sins. This requires wisdom and care. 
love acts to guide others away from the self-harm of sin. With our rebuke comes the good news that mercy, Yudhevavhe himself, triumphs over condemnation. This concludes our series on Sefer Yaakov, the book of James. It also concludes our studies for this season of Line Upon Line with Yaakov. The last episode in this season will be the episode Q&A of Yaakov 5. Our thoughts and prayers are with you over the period of our hiatus and we look forward to having you join us again when we begin the second season of Line Upon Line with Yaakov. As always, the notes for the commentary on this episode are available on our website www.bethmalek.com under the tab Yaakov's Commentary. Simply type Yaakov or James into the search bar and all the articles related to this series will come up. Select Yaakov Chapter 5 and you'll find the notes for this episode. Thanks again for joining us. Shalom Lechem.